Welcome to another podcast of Risen Fellowship. If this is your first time to join us for a uh, podcast, we are glad you joined us. If you have listened to us before, uh, thank you for coming back again. We have been studying through the minor prophets of the Old Testament. And the minor prophets, uh, just for a quick review, are not minor in the sense that they're less important than what Jeremiah, Isaiah, and Ezekiel, and Daniel are. Their messages are just as important to God's message of the prophecy uh, program of prophecy. Uh, Bible students call them the minor prophets because of the brevity of their writings, although Zechariah by no means is brief nor simple. Now the unifying themes of the prophets, of the minor prophets, before we start again, is that the prophets assert that God has spoken through them. They also believe that God has chose Israel for a special covenant relationship. And the majority of Israel has sinned against God and His standards for their relationship. And the prophets were warning that judgment was coming and that judgment would eradicate sin in the nations. The prophets promised that renewal would follow that day of punishment, not just for Israel, but also beyond to the coming day that will bring history to an end as we know it to a close. And God will restore all of His creation back to His original design. Now, these minor prophets are not just history for us to look at, uh, and they're not just for the people of the Old Testament. They are for every one of us today. There are messages that were proclaimed then that are just as important today as they were as the day they were spoken. They call each one of us to repent of our sins, for obedience to God's Word, and to hold on to the promise of the future that God has for us. Now, we've already studied two of the minor prophets. The first one was Hosea. And his message grew out of a personal heartbreak in his own family with his relationship with his wife. Joel's prophecy, which was the second one, grew out of a national calamity. And that was of an invasion of a plague of locusts that would come. Now Joel saw not only the imminent uh, plague that would come of the actual locust eating up the crops, but he also saw the ultimate uh, result of those locusts, which would be an army that God was going to use of the Gentiles' nation to attack Jerusalem. Now that brings us to the next of the 12 minor prophets, and that is Amos. And Amos was a sheep herder in his own words. He was not a professional uh, prophet. Uh, God calls Amos uh, to be a prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, even though he was from a rural village known as Tekoa, which was 12 miles south of Jerusalem, which was part of the southern kingdom called Judah. And being from Judah and also opposing all the popular practices of the nation of Israel, Amos is very unpopular with the people of that northern kingdom. Now this was about 25 years before the fall of the northern kingdom, Israel, to Assyria. And uh, this is when uh, Jeroboam II was king uh, of the northern kingdom. He had his own little private chapel at Bethel where they worshipped, and he had his own priest named Amaziah. Now the nation at this time even though there's turbulence going around them, they're experiencing peace and prosperity. They are living a life of luxury. They also had impressive services that were held in that chapel that uh, King Joel Boehm II had built, and Amaziah, that priest, was in charge. And they went for a special service one day, and there was a commotion outside that chapel. There was somebody crying out, Woe to those who are at ease in Israel. And that voice continues saying, God will send judgment upon this wicked nation. And rushing outside, Amaziah, the, pri uh, the priest of that temple, finds this uh, rustic 
hill preacher, if you will, from Tekoa named Amos, whose name means burden. Uh, but he was God's man with God's message, and he was warning that judgment was coming to Israel. So let's take just a few moments together to not only hear the message that Amos spoke, but to be able to understand that message that came from this shepherd farmer. First of all, in chapters 1 and 2, we see where Amos the prophet, he looks around. And looking around, Amos announces that judgment is coming. And each of these announcements to all the nations begins with, Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions and for four. That's a poetic expression of totality. For the number three in the Hebrew language means plurality. But raising it to four, it conveys the idea of multiplicity, that their sins are being multiplied. And so he begins to announce these judgments that are coming on the nation. The first one is Syria. And he said they're going to be judged for the cruelty of their warfare. Philistia is going to be judged because of the sins of slavery. The Phoenicians will be judged because of their cruel slavery that they have enforced on others. Edom is going to be judged by not showing pity and having a constant hatred for the nation of Israel and Judah. And Ammon will be judged because of their bitter cruelty, uh, bitter cruelty and their selfish greed. Moab, the nation that is just south and east of Israel, is going to be judged for their cruelty to the nation of Edom. And Judah, the southern kingdom, is going to be judged because of rejecting the law of God. Now the eighth judgment that Amos has is reserved for Israel, that northern kingdom. And Amos names the sins of that nation. There was bribery, greed, adultery, immorality, selfishness, ingratitude, drunkenness, and worst of all, rejecting God's revelation. And Amos chapter 2 verse 13 says that he is weighed down, or sometimes even translated burdened, which is also what Amos's name means. He was burdened by these people, uh, the, the kingdom of the north kingdom of Israel. But before we are quick to judge the nations of the past, we had better examine our own nation and even our own hearts. For each of us as individuals in our nation may be guilty of the very same sins that the northern kingdom of Israel was. I mean, as we read through that list, it sounds like a lot of things that are happening in the United States today. So first of all, in the first two chapters, the prophet Amos looks around. Then he looks within in chapters 3 through 6. He looks within the hearts of the people and he explains to them why God's judgment is coming upon him. Now you have to remember, as I said earlier, that the nation of Israel is enjoying peace and prosperity at this time. They're even enjoying what would often be called today a religious revival. People were attending those services that were happening in Bethel of the chapel that King Jeroboam II had built and that where Amaziah was the priest. They were attending those services regularly and with them they were bringing very generous offerings. So the people of the land feel very religious about the activity of what they're doing. But true servants of God don't look on the outward appearance just as um, God told Samuel uh, in, in 1 Samuel he said God doesn't look upon the outward appearance. He looks upon the heart. And that's what a true believer will do. It's not what looks on the outside it's what's on the inside that matters and Amos pronounces three messages and he begins each one of these messages that says hear this word and the first message is a message of explanation and that's in chapter 3 the people thought that since they were God's chosen people that he wouldn't send judgment upon them but we must remember wherever we receive privilege from God 
there must always be responsibility of how we handle that privilege. And Amos announces that the Assyrians are coming to destroy the nation and their lovely little services at Bethel would do nothing to be able to hold the Syrian army back. That is the message of explanation. Uh, uh, explanation. Now, in chapter 4, we have the message of accusation. And at this time, Amos begins to name their sins again. At first, he begins to even talk, accusing the women of, who were living in luxury, of telling their husbands to bring them more drinks. And the prophet is not impressed with their religion that they have at Bethel. To him, it's just another one of the sins that is being added to the list that's making God mad. God had sent warnings to Israel, but they wouldn't listen. The nation in warfare times that were going on, even though they were experiencing some peace at this time, they had been involved in wars and they had lost a lot of the best of the young men of their nation, but they still wouldn't repent and turn back to God. Amos also informs Israel that God isn't going to send natural disasters anymore as judgment. He's saying that He Himself, God Himself, would come and visit them. In chapter 4, verse 12, Amos says, Prepare, Israel, to meet your God. He's saying God's going to come and bring this judgment. So after the message of explanation in chapter 3, and after the message of accusation in chapter 4, chapter 5 and chapter 6 contain a message of lamentation. Verse 3 of chapter 5 suggests that when this judgment comes, 90% of the population of the nation of Israel would die. That is worth uh, grieving over. And a key word is in this passage is seek. And Amos is telling them, quit seeking their religious services to be in attendance, but seek the Lord God Himself. For you see, the Israelites had heard from other prophets about this great day of the Lord that was coming. And their thought was that when the great day of the Lord would come, God would come and judge all of the other nations, but it would be a day of deliverance for them. He told them to weep and mourn because they didn't realize that judgment was for them as well as the other nations. And that's like many Christians today that you hear who long for the return of Christ, the second coming of Christ, that really in their heart, they may not be prepared to meet the Lord when He comes back. And another key verse is in chapter 5, verse 24. Amos says to the people, But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. So he's telling the people to lament over the state of the nation and quit calling out for God's judgment, but to begin to look at themselves and turn themselves around and let justice flow. Don't seek judgment of the nation. Seek justice of God in the way they live their lives. Amos longed to see the people of Israel obeying God's word and executing His justice in the land. And chapter 6 describes Amos weeping over the sins of the people. And those sins, again, that he lists in chapter 6 are indifference and indulgence, injustice, immorality, and idolatry. And probably the one that grieved him the most is the way they were living with ease in the city, in the nation of Zion. What a description of some of the believers who are today. We think we have everything prepared for eternity, and yet the sins of the people are the same things. Indifference toward the poor and the oppressed, indulgence into things that they get self-gratification over, injustice and immorality and idolatry. Oh, When we look within, 
we can see a lot of things in our own life that need to be corrected. Now the uh, prophet Amos not only looks around and looks within, but in chapter 7 through 9, he looks ahead. And in the final three chapters, Amos is going to see five visions discovering what God is going to do with the nation Israel. The first vision is the vision of locusts, much like what Joel had. The locusts are going to come and destroy the crops, but Amos intercedes and the Lord stops them. The second vision is a vision of fire. It's an awful drought that comes upon the land and the prophet prays and the Lord delivers the land. The third vision is of a plumb line where God is measuring the nation Israel and finds that she doesn't conform to his word. Therefore, judgment is coming. And after explaining these three visions, at this point, the state priest Amaziah could take it no more and he interrupted the prophet Isaiah telling him, you're no prophet at all. Take your soapbox back to your hills of Judah and preach there. But Amos wasn't afraid of Amaziah, nor did he back down. As a matter of fact, let me just read this passage of Scripture. It talks about the confrontation between Amaziah the priest and Amos the prophet. Then Amaziah the priest of Bethel sent to Jeroboam the king of Israel saying, Amos has compared uh, conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all of his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be led away captive from their own land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for this is the king's sanctuary, and it is his royal residence. And here's where Amos didn't back down and wasn't afraid. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I a son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder, a tender of sycamore fruit. Then the Lord took me as I followed the lock, and the Lord said to me, Go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now therefore hear the word of the Lord. You say, don't prophesy against Israel. And do not spout against the house of Isaac. Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife, this is, this is Amos the prophet speaking to Amaziah, the state priest. He said, your wife shall be a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword. Your land shall be divided by a survey line and you shall die in a defiled land. And Israel shall surely be led captive away from his own land. So he didn't back down. He continued to speak the truth of God's word, even to those who thought they were safe. The fourth vision that, Amaziah, uh, that Oza, uh, Amos talks about here is the uh, vision of the summer fruit. And the Hebrew words for summer fruit and end look and sound alike, meaning that the end of Israel, just like summer fruit, is ripened and ready for judgment for the end to come. And again, Amos names the sins of the people about their robbing the poor of their homes, complaining that their holy days were interfering with their business practices. And they were setting excessive prices that were continually hurting the poor and oppressing them. And God pledges at that time that He's going to send a famine, and not a famine of the crops, but of hearing God's Word. And Israel wouldn't listen to God's Word when they had it, when they had the opportunity, therefore, God was going to take His Word away from them. 
And in that day, as all these things were coming down, the idols that King Jeroboam I had set up, covering the north and the south end of the, king, uh, the kingdom of Israel, would do them absolutely no good. And the fifth vision that Amos sees is the vision of the altar. Now Amos sees the Lord Himself, not just another symbol. Now why would God allow Amos to see God Himself at the altar? This is because judgment always begins with the house of the Lord. Peter even said that in his first epistle in chapter 4, verse 17. And, and it's a lot like today as it was then. People outwardly are very religious, but they aren't sincere in their heart and from their heart. And because of that, in Israel's time and what could happen in our time is God is ordering the doorpost of their little sanctuary to be broken. And when that happens in Israel, that house at Bethel caves in. And Amos compares the coming judgment that God's going to bring upon the nation of Israel as sifting the grain. Uh, good seed, you see, true believers, the believing remnant will be saved. But the chaff will be burned up. And it reminds me a lot of the first psalm in verse 4 when it says, The ungodly are not like the tree that bears fruit, but they're like the useless chaff that the wind blows away. But Amos is seeing the wind not blow them away, but the fire burning them up. But then Amos closes his prophecy with a note of victory in chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. And it's a promise of a future restoration. As a matter of fact, verse 11 and 12 of chapter 9 of Amos are quoted in Acts 15, verses 14 through 18. And that's at the first church conference. And today God is calling out people uh, a people from all the nations and calling them out for His name. And that is going to be the church. And when the church is completed, then He, Jesus Christ, will return and restore the tabernacle, the house of David, and establish the new kingdom. Listen to the words that Amos concludes his prophecy with. He says, On that day, speaking for God, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who does this thing. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build waste cities and inhabit them. Build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them. I will plant them in their land and no longer shall they be pulled up from the land that I have given them. Thus says the Lord. So with this promise of restoration, the people will be restored to the land and the land will become fruitful again and the people will be blessed forever. So with all of the talk of the coming judgment, it always ends with a promise and with a hope. And I pray that your heart and your life is prepared for the future hope of the second coming of Christ. And I hope you've enjoyed this podcast of looking through this little short uh, book of the minor prophet called Amos. If you have any questions or any comments you would like to make, please email me. You can do that at Mike, uh, Mike at Risen, and Risen is spelled R-I-Z-E-N dot church. I would love to hear from you. And now in closing, I'd like to send a blessing to you. And this is a song called My Prayer for You. 
I met the young man that wrote this years ago. His name is Wayne Kerr. And he wrote this song, and it was very important to me in the year 2002, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Here's some of the lyrics of his song that he wrote. That you could have joy like you've never known, peace and a happy home, time to be all alone. This is my prayer, my prayer for you. Hope for a better day, love because it's the only way. Grandkids when you're old and gray, this is my prayer, my prayer for you. And one of the last verses, he said he hopes that this can be your life. That you step into the ocean at least twice a year. That the love of a child would whisper in your ear. That God would be the center of everything you do. This is my prayer, my prayer for you. And this is my prayer and my blessing for you today. God bless you.